Black Doctors Podcast, Season 6. This podcast is sponsored by Pickmonic. In 2011, two medical students came up with the ingenious idea to combine medical education with unforgettable characters and ridiculously memorable stories. Featuring over 35,000 high-yield facts and graphics, Pickmonic has helped over 600,000 students improve exam scores and perform better clinically. Pickmonic has resources for pre-med and medical students, as well as other healthcare professions. Check out the show notes for a link to their website. Mention the podcast when you subscribe. With Picmonic, you can study less, but remember more. Hello, welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. This month, we are so honored and privileged to share the stage, share a platform with Tour for Diversity. It's an incredible organization doing a lot to increase diversity in healthcare. This is the Black Doctors Podcast, but we would be remiss in leaving out our brown brothers and sisters, um, our Latin, Latinx community. And this episode is going to feature them. Hola, como estas? Bienvenidos a la Black Doctors Podcast. <laughs> gracias, muchas gracias. Gracias. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Dr. Bradley, Stephen. Um, we are always so grateful to have you as, as a partner, as a colleague. Uh, I'm Dr. Cameron Matthews. I am one of the founders and directors of the Tour for Diversity in Medicine. And we are so crazy excited to have taken over the Black Doctors podcast this month. We love this platform. We love sharing our stories um, and just connecting with as many people as possible. Um, a little bit about the tour. We've been a nonprofit organization since 2012, and we've traveled the country now, uh, really reaching as many students as possible in high school and college um, to really motivate them, to inspire them to go into medicine, dentistry, and pharmacy. And uh, we have just continued to expand our efforts, obviously, with virtual platforms, with podcasts, and really reaching more and more students nationwide, as well as globally. We got some people, we, we know you're out there, Puerto Rico. We know you're out there, Mexico. We, we see you guys. So we, we're going to do as much as possible to, to hopefully um, keep expanding that audience. Um, I am really proud to have my family with us today on this podcast. I've got an amazing group of physicians with me, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Um, we went a little big this time. Usually it's just two or three of us on this call. I have a group of five amazing, beautiful people here. I'd love for each of you, maybe let's start with just the introduction of who you are, where you are located, where you're from, because I know that's usually different, and what it is that made you choose medicine. Let's start with that. And I know that's a lot, so this is going to take a little bit. And I'm going to go with ladies first. Dr. Portella, please. Hello, everyone. My name is Paola, and I was born in Colombia, South America, um, immigrated to the United States as a child, and I am currently located in Chicago, Illinois. And I became a doctor because I just, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, I am one of those stories that I chose that when I was very small. Um, and I kept that with me until now. Um, and I'm currently practicing um, in a community health center where I grew up. So I came full circle and I just absolutely love what I do. And I, and I love the fact that I chose it. Um, and I really, really love working with the community that I work with, which is the Latino community. Perfect. I love my girl. We did residency together. Hey, I love it. All right, Dr. Trevino. Hey guys, so I'm Robert Trevino. I'm 
currently doing a pediatric emergency medicine fellowship uh, in Columbus, Ohio, at Nationwide Children's. Um, but I myself was born in Indiana. Um, my background is coming from the second generation picture where my grandparents on my father's side were born and raised in Mexico. Um, and for me, the path to medicine was there, kind of similar to what Dr. Portello was saying, but at the same time, I, I always had a question of thinking about education. And so that's become a big theme in terms of what I've done in kind of the world before medicine and then even how I've made my way through uh, this point in my career. Love it. Dr. Cruz. Hello, um, my name is Jose Cruz. I am born in South, uh, was born and raised in South Texas. It's a town called McAllen, Texas. I am currently residing in my hometown. I am um, glad to be back. And so the question being, why did I choose medicine? I, I knew that I always wanted to um, to help and, and, and to help people that look like me, that were like me, that, that speak and share the same cultures and, and uh, the same culture and principles that, that, um, that I have. And so I felt that I could make a difference with medicine, and that's why uh, I became a physician. Dr. Rivera. Uh, hello. Uh, my name is Luis Rivera. I am from the south side of Chicago, born and raised. Uh, family is from Mexico. And uh, I think what brought me to medicine was really was just growing up on the south side, seeing the lack of access to care, especially with my family. Um, you know, I had a lot of family with uh, chronic medical conditions. I always noticed how hard it was for them to get the care they needed. So that's something I thought maybe one day um, that I could do, how can I help fill that gap? Um, but I took a bit of a non-traditional path to medicine, um, just growing up where I did, not having you know access to a lot of opportunities. I didn't think medicine was a realistic option initially. So I was an electrician actually for about 10 years until I decided to say, you know what, why why not me? Why can't I do this? <laughs> so I went back to school first part-time, then uh, went to UIC for medical school and uh, Northwestern Residency. Now I'm back at UIC um, and uh, at the Pilsen Family Health Center, which is a predominantly Latino community and where I'm the medical director there. I always love your story. Oh, my gosh. And last but certainly not least, Dr. Ortega. Thank you, Dr. Matthews. Gaz Ortega. I am um, from Brooklyn, New York. I was born in New York City to uh, parents that immigrated from the Dominican Republic. And what drew me to medicine really was um, trying to figure out what I didn't like, Um while I was in high school, there were so many different majors, different subject matters that I was not interested in, but I really liked science and I liked the opportunity to do research, um, engage with patients and just the diversity of the field and that there's so many specialties and so many things that we could do within medicine. And so what pushed me over the edge was really um, summer research programs, specifically those for uh, students in underrepresented in medicine. And so having those opportunities to get that exposure um, because I really didn't have it um, growing up. And so it was not a thing for me uh, to aspire to pursue medicine until really I, I got to college. And so um, today I'm fortunate um, to be um, in the 
an instructor in surgery and the Department of Surgery at Brigham Women's Hospital. I am also the lead faculty for research and innovation for equitable surgical care at the Center for Surgery and Public Health. And um, I love what I do. I'm excited to chat with everyone today. I love my family. Let me just say it like that. So actually, Ortega, I'm going to mount it back to you, Gezert. Um, Let's talk about how you chose surgery, because I know you are hardcore. Tell you, and, and you chose medicine, like you just said, because it had so many options. What made you narrow it in on surgery? And then I'm going to have to push back because I, I have to say family medicine is better. But you go right ahead and try to defend it. That's so. okay. I, I mean, <laughs> I think one of the, the biggest uh, pushbacks for me is just that I feel... Um, you know, surgery is uh, one of the specialties that um, we need more representation in. Um, and so more importantly for me, it was just the aspect to work within the structure and function of the anatomy that I was learning as a first year medical student. Um, I immediately knew I wanted to work with my hands and and also just have an opportunity to be in the operating room, to be on the wards, also to be in the ambulatory setting, the outpatient setting. So it was nice to kind of have that variety. The research also attracted me to surgery. That was what uh, motivated me to pursue it. I really didn't have early on mentors in surgery. I just knew, okay, this was really competitive. So I figured like, let me aim for this uh, because if I can get into surgery, I can get into other things. And then once I identified mentors later on in my career, then it just became like, yes, this is exactly what I need to do. And, uh, and I, and I love it. Um, and so I think the, what's also was really nice. And one of the things, and I always kind of talk about this family medicine, even surgery, but just primary care is that especially like in trauma surgery, you are the front lines, especially for surgical services for many of our communities, um, and caring for our patients. And so, I think, you know, one of the things that I try to do is also do a little myth busting in that surgeons do uh, some frontline work as well, just like our primary care colleagues. I love it. You try to claim it. You go ahead. (laughs) I love it. All right. I have two pediatricians on here. I want to hear from both of you. Of course, you love the kids, but talk to me about why you chose Pete. Um, Oh, I will go first. I... When I was a child, I guess that was all I knew. I was a child. I thought seeing little people that looked like me would be the most interesting. As I went on to do my rotations for about a year, I thought, oh, no, OBGYN is my thing. How awesome would it be uh, to deliver the babies? I'd still be with the babies. And and then I would be able to to see the moms as well. Um, I mean, I knew early on I didn't want to deal with men but that was as much as I knew. Once I did my rotation in, in and delivered the babies, I realized that I just, I wanted to keep following them and I didn't want anything to do with the adult that was left over. And I am definitely a pediatric personality. I can go to work and I just, I can see babies all day. And it's just absolutely amazing that you can, they can entrust you with something that was just born and you can watch them grow and you're part of their family. You get invited to birthday parties. You're, you just become so much of, of who they love and they trust and you learn to love them and you, and you watch them uh, mature. And I just absolutely love that part of it. And for me, it was a little different twist on this because kind of that working relationship with kids wasn't really that piece that really drew me. It was a lot of influence from my background teaching middle school. And the work that I had done in kind of uh, even in the K through five um, areas before I was in medicine and then um, when I was in college. 
And what you start to realize was a lot of the things that were like negative aspects of the kids' lives in the K through 12 were the same things that we were talking about as social determinants of health. And so I was seeing these pieces so directly intertwined that for me, I've kind of been torn in the past and even now of what aspects of pediatrics was the most interesting to me because there is this role that these social determinants play in these kids' lives. And the very frustrating part when it comes to pediatrics is they don't have control over that. You know, these aspects of their lives are dictated by families, by government, by their communities. And so they're having these potentially negative starts with nothing that they could take control over. And then even in my time teaching middle school and working with high school, you start to realize, yeah, these kids have a little bit, can have a little bit more ownership over what's going on. But at the same time, there's still a lot of limitations there. And it was really kind of thinking about them in that setting that became this kind of driving force about working with peds. And for me, you know, a lot of the work I do in the community kind of gives me those long-term relationships. And so emergency medicine drew, you know, was drawing to me because it was a way to kind of see these kids in, in really one of their more vulnerable states and families as well. You know, parents bring their kids in at three in the morning, not because they think everything's fine, but they're, they're legitimately concerned. And, you know, you have that role as an emergency medicine doctor to kind of say, no, based on what we can see, how they look, what we're doing, they look fine. And sometimes it's that reassurance that parents needed, but, you know, 3 a.m. was the only time they could bring them in for the sniffles. So I love it. I love it. Jose, how did you choose your field? I remember when you were trying to make this decision. <laughs> We've known each other that long. So, uh... So I'm a pediatrician too, but I don't practice. <laughs> I don't see children. Um, and, and like Robert said, much of the reason why I chose PEDS was because of my experience as a public school teacher. I enjoyed working with older children, well, with adolescents. And so that was uh, part of the reason why I decided to do a combined internal medicine and pediatrics residency. But then um, the reason why I chose to subspecialize was um, it's, I guess the one thing nobody teaches you about medicine is that the way that you envision it turns out to be completely different than how it's practiced. And I became very dis, dis um, kind of, uh, the, the right word would be a very dissolution at the fact that I was there to make it, like I felt that I was there to make a difference to help people out, but nobody really like cared I don't know if that's the right way of saying it. Um, and so, it, it, you know, people have so many, when you, when you do primary care, patients have so many, many problems and you're limited to dealing with everything in 20 minute, in a 20 minute time span or a 15 minute visit. And, and the reason why I chose oncology was because I, I, I think it gives me the luxury to spend more time with patients, you know, um, sometimes, you know, my appointments can be really quick and sometimes they can be very long. And, and I think that it really encompasses all the tenets of medicine, right? Like being there for people, caring for people and being there, like you can, <clears throat> you're there when people are at their most vulnerable. And, and, and many of the times, because you see them so frequently, you kind of act like a primary care. So you still need to be a, uh, well-versed with 
with your medicine. You still need to be um, up to date with everything that is going on. Um, and, and not to mention that the field of oncology is just is ever so growing from an academic standpoint. It's, it's just challenging. Like so many drugs come to market. It's, 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 it's an interesting field to be in. I love it. And last but not least, you noticed I saved the family doc. Luis, why did you choose family medicine? <laughs> Hello. Hi. Well, I mean, I think I alluded to it a little bit earlier. It was just, uh, you know, growing up where I did, just seeing the disparities, uh, lack of access in my community. Um, I wanted to be the type of doctor that was most accessible to the community. Um, and I wanted to see anybody who couldn't walk to the door. I wanted to see the newborn, um, the adolescent, the adult, the grandmother, um, the prenatal patient. You know, I wanted to see them all. I didn't want to say, hey, oh, you need a pap smear or you need prenatal care. Go see this person. <laughs> um, you know, I, I wanted to be able to handle those things that that can be done in a primary care setting. And uh, so I just felt like um, family medicine, you know, was really the best choice for me to, to provide the most comprehensive form of uh, primary care possible, I thought, for me. So that's, yeah, that's why I chose it. I'm so excited that we have such a diversity of experiences here. Um, a- diversity of, of backgrounds, of decisions made in medicine, of even types of medicine that you all practice. But I want to, not but, and I want to get into, you know, a, a little bit more maybe of a personal um, discussion around just kind of your experience as physicians now. And would love to hear kind of how maybe you felt that your ethnicity, your background, your experiences have, have really um, played a role in your patient care? Like, how have you been able to connect maybe differently than some of your colleagues? Um, we talk about on the tour a lot, a concept of not just cultural competency, but cultural humility, that we're humble, you know, in the face of our patients needing a lot from us and how we actually approach them and, and how we really are self aware of our own concepts of identity and things like that. Um, I'd love to hear, and I'm just going to open it up. I'd love to just start a dialogue on how you guys feel, just your background, um, your your upbringing, your, your family, everything has just affected how you have taken on patient care. Has it, has it had an impact for you? Um, I, I'll answer that. I, um, so when we arrived in this country and, and I was a child, uh, I received medical care at at that time. It was the government health clinics that were here in Chicago that are now um, just community health centers or federally qualified health centers. And I and I saw that and I and I thought to myself that there were there were so many people. The lines were so long. No one really spoke the language. My mother did not, still does not speak English. Um, I learned to translate a lot at a very young age. And I thought, you know, this is going to help me. This is going to help me because I want to work with the community. I want to work with people that speak Spanish. I want to be able to advocate for someone that's not able to advocate for themselves, as I wish somebody would have done for me and my family when I was younger. And then as I've grown into this role, I realized that there was, I mean, there's just a whole other facet to what I couldn't even imagine seeing and, and experiencing. Uh, recently, I, I had a child in the clinic whose mother came from Central America and crossed 
the border. And this child, by the way, is 15 months and he weighs nine pounds. And in his country, they have no idea what's wrong with him. Uh, They actually stole the money and they were supposed to do a genetic test and no one did it. And she's here just trying to figure out what to do for her child because she knows that most likely after a couple of miscarriages, she can't have any more. And I look at that and I think, you know, nothing that I could have gone through in life will prepare me for what this poor woman is experiencing. Now, I could speak her language and I could try as hard as I can to get her the help that she needs. But that that's, that makes me very humble because I learn every day that if I would have been born in today's society, I probably wouldn't have become what I became. My brother would not have been the anchor baby. I would not have been able to stay in the U.S. We probably wouldn't have gained citizenship. It is so different. Um, and, and that makes me very humble and it makes me want to fight harder. And, you know, that's half the reason that I, I went back to school that, and, and you can, because you inspire me all the time, um, to get my master's and to become the chief medical officer where I work currently, because I feel like I need to keep helping my community in ways that, uh, in any way that I can. And so it's just, it's a lot sometimes. To, to touch on what, what you have said, I think that, you know, in my experience, serving uh, many different communities, some of them that are pretty diverse, uh, one thing that I take from is the fact that, you know, much of our experiences are, are universal, but they're just devoid of context. Um, so, for example, you know, um, the, I think about, you know, my struggles uh, coming from a being a first-generation Mexican-American whose, like, parents were here illegally and, you know, having to struggle financially throughout most of my childhood and seeing my parents struggle. And I compare that to the experience of, you know, the patients, the Native American patients that I took care of in Oklahoma versus the Native American patients uh, versus the African-American patients or the Black patients that I took care of in Louisiana. Like, the, it's the struggle's the same. And I think and I think that we all... Um, share similar struggles. And I think that my experience just has allowed me to make that connection, make the connection that at the end of the day, we all like our struggle is universal. We all share kind of uh, this uh, similar concept, the similar notion of being like forgotten. You know, we are kind of like the forgotten Americans, like, you know, Native Americans, Mexican Americans, you know, Latino, like Latino people, uh, Black people were just forgotten, and 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 I see that, and I see kind of the the distant the, the disenfranchisement of of the communities, and it and it's hard not to sympathize, but also want to advocate for them, and I think that that's you know kind of what I take as my job as a physician to be. I'm there to advocate for my patients because many of the times there's nobody else to advocate for them. And, and, and that's what I love about my job, the fact that, you, that I'm in a position in which for the first time in my life, I feel like can, that people actually listen to me. <laughs> where, <laughs> where, I, where, where I have the opportunity to, like, to, to do like, okay, and I know that this is going to sound bad, but to, to do the Karen thing and to just throw a fit and be like, you know, why aren't you doing this for my patient? How come you're like, 
uh, how come, you know, this is unacceptable. This patient has gone so long without X, Y, or C. And I feel that 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 is a sense of empowerment that I wouldn't have had had I gone to any other profession. Hey, it's Steven, host of the Black Doctors Podcast. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a minute to talk about TrueLearn. They are a sponsor of the Black Doctors Podcast, and we're thankful for them investing in our mission. TrueLearn is a company that specializes in test preparation. They provide a data-driven approach to help students prepare for their examinations. They provide resources for those in the medical licensure exam process, or the COMLEX, the USMLE, and even for physician assistants. And they also provide resources for subspecialty exam prep. Specifically for those in medical school, they offer individual NBME subject exams, smart banks, and they cover the rotations that include neurology, emergency medicine, psychiatry, pediatrics, surgery, OBGYN, family medicine, and internal medicine. Eight different subspecialties. As a special bonus for those of you that listen to the show, TrueLearn is offering a discount. To receive that discount, visit their website. When you sign up for one of their products, use the code BDPODCAST. So Black Doctors Podcast. There's also going to be a link in the show notes. Check that out. Everybody loves saving money. And now let's get back to today's episode. Dr. Cruz, you said it so well. I love that you feel empowered enough to to, to just be that that person. I mean, we all need to do that in, in so many different respects of our life. Any other thoughts on on just how how your world, um, how how your experiences have influenced your world? Actually, that's probably a better way to say it. Um, well, so, yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, growing up, I mean, similarly to some of uh, other colleagues on the podcast, uh, growing up uh, from an immigrant household and, you know, um, getting health care at community health centers or getting charity care just and um, seeing the uh, cultural and linguistic barriers that people had to face, you know, I think uh, makes it a little bit different when you relate to patients nowadays, you know, when, when you're, you're someone who's bilingual, bicultural, it, it is, it is different when you relate to a patient, you know, I think there is that um, kind of a special uh, connection there. And I think that, uh, and that you know, evidence does show that that does improve uh, healthcare outcomes. Um, so I, I think that's really important. And I think yeah, advocacy is very important. Um, that's another reason actually I chose uh, family medicine is just because I feel like being out in the community and being involved, um, being accessible to the community, being uh, aware and uh, what's going on in the community it's allowed me to get involved in things outside of medicine but that I think are, are related to health, uh, that, you know, are definitely related to health, uh, but, um, you know, maybe not directly having to do with things we do inside the clinic, but just, uh, um, but that are very important, you know, things to advocate for that I think, uh, like, um, you know, green space, environmental justice, uh, education, access, all these things that really impact someone's health and well-being more than, uh, anything we can do in the clinic. So true. So true. And um, I think the fact that we see our role as so much more than the clinic, I mean, you know, that's not how we're trained, right? That's not how we, how we came through school, but we all, I think particularly those of us black and brown in medicine, we truly see our scope, our world as so much bigger than just the exam room, right? It's so much bigger than when that patient is a patient, but we think of them as a person. And I think that's all, it's exactly what you guys are, are kind of encapsulating here. Um, I want to pass it over to uh, my other two colleagues, because I think let's let's turn the, the, the 
perspective here. We've talked about advocating for patients, how kind of cultural humility really makes a difference in your patient care. How does it, if you have any examples, how has it made an impact on how you've interacted with other physicians or maybe even other care team members? I'll, I'll, I'll go beyond physicians, but like, have you maybe had to, to turn on your inner Karen, like Jose said, with some other care team members at any point? Because sometimes you, you got to set them straight. I mean, you know, I think one way that that's really played out for me um, is thinking about my interactions, especially like in residency with colleagues, when there were other people from you know, other minoritized backgrounds, and you kind of saw a different lens by which we all kind of came into this world to get to the same point of residency. And, you know, at the same time, we were working either with patients or you know, other ancillary staff who maybe had different views. And there are a number of times where, you know, we kind of had each other's back um, when it was different microaggressions that might've come up and, and seeing just how people could support each other and kind of address things in a different way so that it wasn't always just shared on, you know, the individual shoulders, but rather there's a group of people that you maybe could go back to um, to really help kind of reinforce pieces that we wanted to. Along with that, that became this you know, big piece where we started to change kind of the curriculum of what we were doing in residency um, with how we looked at DEI work and, and what that meant in the training process for our residents and our colleagues because there's a lot of people who came in who didn't come in with the same perspective. And so that piece that you know Dr. Cruz was talking about about um, you know patients who are coming in these vulnerable states, and you kind of have some of that shared experience, you know, it's not something that a lot of the people who come into medicine have. And so they don't know what that looks like. They don't know what it's like for these families who are worried about transportation because they're taking three buses and walking, you know, half a mile to be able to get to the clinic or the hospital to see their loved one. Um, they don't know what it's like to be in that position where, you don't know where the next paycheck's going to, how it's going to stretch to cover your electricity and food um, and what that means and how to find those resources in the city. So anything we can do to kind of take these experiences that we have and, you know, ex kind of share that piece with our colleagues, I think helps open their eyes to those uh, inequities that exist. Yeah, I would add to that. Um, I, I definitely think allyship is one. And, you know, um, Robert just mentioned that. and. I think for me, it's also been um, the opportunity to have an impact on surgical education. And so we have the provider awareness and cultural declarity toolkit for surgeons that we've developed. And in that curriculum, we teach cultural dexterity skills to our surgical trainees. And so we've had an opportunity to really um, share with them some of these tenets of like cultural dexterity and cultural humility when it comes to building trust. Uh, optimizing informed consent, working with patients with limited English proficiency and managing pain. Um, and so that's been um, very rewarding um, in sharing that and our goal. And hopefully that will be part of all surgical trainees curriculum in the next couple of months. And so we're working towards that. But also I think like for me, the most important like part of caring is also in the small talk. Um, and so talking to my colleagues about how we can address some of the language barriers that have been brought up during this conversation earlier. I mean, I have similar experiences that were you know, mentioned earlier growing up, you know, with my parents and 
you know, other colleagues, friends, and patients. And so I'm fortunate enough to be in a position where my research now focuses on different interventions to improve uh, language concordance within surgery, but also like address language access and address some of the language barriers that we see using interventions, different tech, and collaborating with my colleagues um, across multiple disciplines um, to figure out what these solutions will be. And so I think it's part of the reason why I do that is because of my experience, right? Because of my background. And I think that's important to bring that um, to work every day and to put, you know, make sure that it's at the forefront of what we do. I love it. Our authenticity is is what engenders us to our patients, to our their families, everything. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. All right. I'd love to hear, I think, you know, we've got an audience out there that is, it wants to, to soak in all of your advice. I'd love to hear from each of you um, what advice you might give that young student who's, who's maybe coming from a neighborhood, maybe even, you know, a, someone that walks into your exam room uh, for all my pediatricians, right? A, a young student who is, is just interested in going into medicine. Um, what's, what advice do you give somebody just like off the cuff like that? What do you, what are you telling your students? Like and follow the tour for diversity. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Follow the tour. No, but, yeah. but I mean, you know, a big part of it is gauging kind of where they're at because for you know some of the students who I talked to in clinic, you know, they had that first thought of like, hey, it could be cool to be a doctor, but didn't know anything beyond that. Um, so I try to get a quick sense of where they're at and try to find the resources that's going to kind of help get them to that next piece. Because, um, you know, they're, especially the ones who are early on, like middle school, early high school age students, like there's still a lot of time there for them to explore and see everything. But they also have to just get a sense of, well, what does that what is this possibly going to take versus like when I talk to a college student who's kind of already started down this path, then it becomes making sure they get connected into the world of getting the experiences and resources they need um, from the application side to really be able to, to cross over um, and join us in the profession. Because the hard part really is you know, navigating that world of everything that's out there um, and you know, deciphering out what's the good stuff to, to actually look and listen to and what's the stuff that's kind of garbage. So I try to help them sort through that. Love it. Dr. Patella. Um, yeah, I, I see a lot of, I see people until they're 21. And so like Robert, I see a lot of the, um, the spectrum of, of children who are just starting out and they, I have children, little girls who bring, um, little white coats or little stethoscopes to the clinic and the moms say that they go home and, and that they want to be like, like Dr. Portella. And I think that's just so cute. And I, I encourage it. I don't care what grade they're in, but I think he hit the nail on the head when he said, I don't, when they say, I think it's cool or, or how much money must you make? And I'm like, Oh no, honey, (laughs) you are not looking at that the right way. Because if you don't love this, it will eat you alive. It is a lot of emotion. It is a lot of time. It is a, it is time consuming. And so it, it definitely has to be something that you are prepared for emotionally, physically, financially. Um, and so I, I just, I make that very clear. I feel the same way. I think it's a lot of it is it just being upfront. It is a lot of hard work. You will, um, you'll, you'll need to focus. I do um, tell my students, you know, Robert said this, like, 
you know, not only tour for diversity, but there are a lot of resources and a lot of student organizations. And so making sure to follow, like, you know, the Latino Medical Student Association, um, you know, we have the Latino Surgical Society, the um, Student National Medical Association, but there are a lot of organizations out there that have a lot of resources for students interested in medicine um, and, and identify a mentor, right? Like to um, work to identify someone that can help you along the journey because it will make it um, a lot, it will save you some challenges and some hurdles if you have a good mentor. Dr. Cruz. So the, I guess echoing just what everyone said, the hardest part is just remaining consistent and making sure that that um, people, it, the, the one thing that I tell people is, is this is something that you want, you have to, you will find that you sometimes you are working harder than your than your peers and and it's something that 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 um i have understood as a physician and that um when i compare myself to others is that sometimes i just feel that i'm investing more time and and, and that this is uh something that i've put in much more work than others but i feel that uh, at the end of the at the end of the day, it is a race that I have within myself and not with anyone else. And, and as long as I stay consistent and, and, and committed to my goals, um, I will, you know, that had always been my thought process is that I would accomplish, you know, my goal of being a physician. And what I tell uh, students is just to be consistent, to be persistent um, and, and, and not to, and not to give up. Um, I love it. And Luis, last word of advice. Um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> similarly, you know, I, I try to, I encourage them to, you know, think about why they want to pursue a career in medicine um, and make sure it's for the right reasons. Um, because, you know, as, as Paula mentioned, you know, it will definitely, uh, you will lie if you're not in it for the right reasons. And if you want to make money, there's a lot of other easier ways to make money than medicine. <laughs> um, so there's, that piece, but I think um, I think a lot of people are a lot of mentees that are drawn to me are people who maybe come from similar backgrounds who maybe uh, had similar thoughts about oh I don't know if someone like me can become a physician you know and uh, so you know, what I always do is I just encourage them to say you know hey you know this you know society has kind of told us that we're supposed to be certain things we're supposed to play certain roles in our society and. You know, people who look like us are not supposed to be doctors or professionals, and it's hard to fight against that, but we got to do our best, and, you know, we have, you know, of course, we're intelligent enough, we, we can definitely, there's no doubt that we can do this, um, so I just try to encourage them to kind of push past those those thoughts, those, those self-doubts, and, uh, you know, push forward. Love it. Love it. Oh my gosh, family. I absolutely love it. There's so much wisdom coming out of this group based on experience, based on just sheer guts and a little bit of caring. And so I love it. I love you guys for joining the conversation. Again, more importantly, I love you guys for being a part of the Tour for Diversity in Medicine. Dr. Bradley, thank you for letting us take over this month. This has been a great set of conversations and I'll hand it back over to you. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for an incredible conversation. I enjoyed listening in. I'm not going to put you through my uh, Spanish, my broken Spanish. Again, I am, you know, behind on my Duolingo. But 
thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you to for Diversity for the incredible work you are doing. It's been our honor and pleasure to have you on this platform. Um, portion of this season's proceeds will be going to Tour for Diversity to help fund the work that they're doing to increase diversity in medicine. I love listening to the parallels in the stories that I just heard. Um, clearly, you know, these all these problems are common to all of us who are underrepresented in the fields of healthcare, medicine, nursing, all the above. Thank you all for doing what you're doing. And thank you for coming on the show because representation matters.